Right, okay. Can you, can you all see me? Yes. Thank you. Uh, our, the Bible reading for this morning is Philippians chapter 3. So, David, could we uh, get a bit of that up? Um, uh, rather than read the whole Bible reading and then come back to bits of it, why don't we just sort of work our way through it all in one piece? So this is Philippians chapter 3, and it's what we've been looking at for a number of weeks now. Uh, Paul writing this letter uh, to these um, uh, fairly new church in uh, a, a sort of Greek city, uh, Asia Minor type city, but full of uh, full of um, how would you describe this? I don't want to. I don't want to insult anybody, uh, but this is the kind of bally home uh, of um, of that part of the world. It was where people went to to retire, uh, but it was where people went. Sorry, are there bally home people here? <laughs> uh, it's it's where wealthy people went home to retire. Went to retire uh, was Philippi, and there were special deals, especially for uh, politicians and. Uh, military leaders within the Roman Empire, that they got property deals, they got lower taxes, they were allowed off also. And I'm not suggesting bally homes like that, okay, just in case. Although it'd be great if it was, wouldn't it? Because it's lovely down there. <laughs> but So there are all sorts of deals for people uh, of wealth and power and background to live in Philippi. So it was that sort of, um, that sort of place. It was, um, you know, all the best coffee shops, were in Philippi, all the best properties, uh, lots of wealth and lots of entertainment and all those sorts of things. So it's into that sort of context that Paul is writing all of this to, to the Philippians. So he starts off, uh, we'll just read this first wee section here. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Now, let me see if we can unfold that a little bit for you. Uh, it says in the, um, the, the, the very second line there, it's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Now, you don't need to be... Um, uh, you, you don't need to be a detective to figure out that there must have been something written before for this to be here, for me to write these things to you again. So it's possible that this isn't the first letter written to these people or maybe the first letter that has been passed round to them uh, from other, other cities. But he is making the point that I need to come back to something and I need to keep repeating this, that there are people out there who are trying to destroy the wonder and the grace and the mercy of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's hard to believe that people would want to do that. But there, there are people in, in Philippi and in many of the other New Testament churches or around those cities who wanted to do, and I'm choosing those words very carefully, who want to undo the grace and the mercy of God. Because what they're trying to do, what they're trying to do is replace uh, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ and of his uh, wonderful, unconditional love that he wants to pour out on the world. They want to replace some of that with, here's things that you have to do. And if you don't do these things, you won't be acceptable to God. That's those uh, 
when it talks about the mutilators of the flesh, it's talking about people who are presenting the Old Testament uh, understanding of circumcision and of obeying the law and of becoming uh, part of the nation of Israel with all its culture and all its... Um, all its background of how you're meant to live your life if you want to be part of God's people. And Paul is saying that uh, we mustn't allow that to return to the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, which is about his love, his mercy, and his grace, and his arms stretched out without reserve, without condition, uh, to welcome all, to forgive all, to give new life to all. So, What's our modern-day version of that? Uh, and uh, I think it's uh, we sometimes, without meaning to, invent our own little, um, our own little ideas of how uh, God relates to us or how we relate to him. So uh, I'm going to give you uh, a couple of well-known phrases, and I wanted you to tell me what part of the Bible they're from. Okay. This is the point when you used to be in school where people suddenly looked down at the desk uh, and didn't want to be spotted by anybody. So where in the Bible do you find, uh, and I don't, I'm not expecting you to shout out answers, God works in a mysterious way, or God works in mysterious ways. Wow. We all think that's in there, don't we? Let me read to you uh, the rest of, of what it says. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. It's the opening verse of a poem called Light Shining Out of Darkness by William Cooper. It isn't in the Bible. God works in mysterious ways. comes from a poem. God helps those who help themselves. Uh, that's a good one, isn't it? And it's kind of like the American dream, that if you give your all and put in the hard work, well, God will come alongside you and bless you and prosper you. But compare that, that's not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Uh, but the Bible does say, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. And then Paul goes on to say, so now I'm glad to boast about my weakness, so that the power of Christ can work through me. See, we start to undo the love and the grace and mercy of God if we start to think that he rewards us for our effort and rewards us for our determination rather than saying, Lord, I can barely do anything without you. This too shall pass. That's not the sermon, but it's, uh, it's about life. And apparently it was said by Abraham Lincoln uh, and isn't in the Bible. God won't give you more than you can handle. I've heard that said. Uh, in actual fact, the Bible is full of stories. It's not in the Bible. The Bible is full of stories about people who couldn't handle what God gave them. Okay. Uh, and it's about partnership with God. It's about God's call in our lives, God working in our lives. To thine own self be true. There must be someone in here who knows where that comes from. <laughs> Shakespeare's Hamlet. Uh, I looked it up. You're right. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm one that you hear all the time. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. I have a funny feeling Jesus told us to not even be thinking about who the sinner might be. Never mind loving the sinner. He does say that we should love our enemies, and of course we should love the sinner. But uh, we shouldn't even be making judgments in our lives about who that might be. And... Uh, 
if you're going to hate any sin, uh, it probably shouldn't be other people's, it should probably be our own. Yeah? Being ashamed of the things that go on in our minds and our hearts rather than anyone else's. Paul goes on to say, if we can jump to the next wee, wee bit of scripture, please, David. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, that is in what these other people are adding to the gospel. I have more, because I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I'm faultless. Paul kind of, in, in response to the people who are saying, you need to have this, 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 and this all in place in your life. Uh, Paul says, them, well, if, if anyone could claim to have any of those things, there is no one who has a CV like me. St. Paul rightly says he has it all. He has everything that could ever be achieved in the human life in terms of what it would mean to be part of God's people or God's purposes. That it's all there. And I think sometimes, although we don't mean to, we sometimes apply uh, a spiritual CV either to ourselves or to somebody else. Sometimes when uh, somebody asks us to do something and uh, we're nervous about doing it, um, we, we think about the other people who do such things and we kind of... Uh, apply a spiritual CV to them, well, it's okay for them. They're very gifted or they're used to doing it or they've been trained in that or, or something else. And it gives us an opt-out, a cop-out, as it were, uh, because we don't think we have the qualifications. And again, that's us adding to the gospel. There are no qualifications. When we say, I don't think I could ever do that, uh, that's because we think we have to achieve some things to be allowed to do that or to be able to get up in front of people and do that or serve in that way or help others or work with a neighbor or, or whatever it is. We think we don't have the CV for it. But that, that's an invention of ourselves. We've added something to what God's looking for. God is looking for weakness and willingness so Paul goes on to say, uh, the next wee bit, so verse 7. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So he's saying, whatever it was that was added, that I have achieved in my life, whatever it is that I set my mind to and I've become good at, and all of those sorts, in terms of um, the love of God poured out into my life. Whatever those things were, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Now, our Bible translators are very polite there. The word for garbage can mean a range of things and it can mean anything from uh, what we put in the little green bag in our kitchens yeah and drop into our brown wheelie bins but it can mean right at the other end the little black bag that we take out when we're walking the dog yeah all those things that Paul has achieved all those things that he has built into his life he counts them as 
garbage. Not that they're not good things, and lots of them were good things, and are good things, and are cultural things, and valuable things, but they aren't contributing. They aren't contributing to why God would love him, or why God would use him. Yeah, God isn't ticking boxes as to why he would love us or want to use us. Paul says he counts it all garbage compared to knowing Christ. And he talks about gaining Christ and talks about faith in Christ. And he goes on at the end of verse 8 and into verse 9, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or from any of those things that people have said you need to be able to do, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And the way that that pours into our lives is when we reach the point, any day of our lives, every day of our lives, when we say, Lord, you know, I just need you for everything. I need you to restore that compassion in me for others. I need you to wash me clean of the attitudes that come rushing back into me every time I'm not looking. Uh, I need you to restore the focus in me on the right things about what life's about, what's going on in our world. I just need you every day. I want not just to know about you, but I want to know you. Um, could I take you uh, way back in our lives to um, maybe 20 years, 25 years ago maybe, when our youngest Joel was, I'm thinking, about this sort of size. And we were on uh, a holiday of a lifetime in the Magic Kingdom in Florida, Disney, all of that world. If you've been, it really is um, uh, spectacularly wonderful in a certain sort of way. Uh, it's not everything you'd ever want, but uh, Magic Kingdom is just what it says. It's just a magic kingdom. But anyway, Joel wanted to go on something called, and I wrote it down, I looked it up on YouTube last night to make sure it was the right one. Um, oh, and that wee sound uh, captures it because it's called the Tower of Terror. <laughs> okay. Joel wanted to go on the Tower of Terror, yeah, but me being the kind of dad I am, I'm not going on anything at all that has the word terror in it, yeah, so I didn't. So I stood with him in the queue until we got to the point where he could go in. Oh, <laughs> it's terrible. Isn't it? Oh, it gets worse, Jeffrey. Oh, it gets, oh, at, at, at Tower of Terror it was, oh, it, it, was, it was incredibly terrorious, if that's a word. Uh, so anyway, he disappeared in with a queue with everybody else. Uh, and what the Tower of Terror was, was a great big old building thing. But you got in a lift, and at some unknown point in the lift, in the dark, the lift stops and then plummets earthwards. Can you imagine? In darkness. Uh, although being in the light wouldn't make any difference. It wouldn't if the lift is plummeting downwards. And it plummets downwards, but at some uh, great moment, again, it, it gently slows to a halt and you get out. But on the way up to, to the top, you get into the lift, so you get a wee experience of what it's like, and it's dark. And halfway up, there's a cutoff point 
right? If you'd like to not go to the top and plummet downwards to your death, uh, you're, allowed, you're allowed to get out of the lift. So the doors opened, and by this stage, uh, Joel had got like his dad, uh, who never even got in the lift. But anyway, Joel got out of the lift and therefore didn't go to the top. Now, Disney had not thought this through. If you get out of the lift halfway and you follow the stairs down, whatever it is you do, you don't come out at the exit where everyone else comes out. So where was I standing? At the exit where everyone else came out, the doors open. Where's my son? Don't know. Nobody knows. He's disappeared in the Tower of Terror. <laughs> okay. Oh, he's disappeared. He had come out some other wee exit round the back somewhere and was now standing in the crowds in the Magic Kingdom, completely on his own and completely lost. Uh, so when we find him, can you imagine the hug? They're wrapped around our little lost child. Can you grasp some of that as this unsurpassing love and of what it means to know Christ and to be known by Christ? For him to come rushing your direction and saying, I want to lift you up in my arms. I want you to be mine. I want you to stop straining and pressing yourself, you know, grabbing hold of your determination every day, I'm going to get through another day, uh, and resting into the arms of the one who loves us above everything else. And that's what St. Paul had discovered on that road to Damascus when the light shone around him and he heard the voice and the bitterness and the hatred in him and the attitudes that he had had, all these things that others would count to, would, were counting as positives for him as those things washed out of his life, and he began to realize knowing Christ is just the greatest thing. We will sing exactly those words in a few minutes. To know Christ. Paul goes on to say something, and we're very close to the end. Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. And there's the key. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I'm sure you've had these moments where you've had someone very dear to you uh, who's suffering at some point. And you have looked at them and thought, I wish I could take their pain. Yeah, I wish it would fill me and set them free. And that was the heart of God as he looked at our broken earth and our broken humanity and sees the suffering and the pain and the community of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I imagine, and this is just my imagination, you won't find this in the Bible either, having a, like a kind of heavenly committee meeting about what, what can we do for this thing we have created and these people that we created in our image and there's so much suffering and so much pain and so much hatred and violence and all those things. And looking at us and saying, I wish we could take the pain and the suffering. 
and then God saying to themselves, we can. Let's do that. Let's take their pain. Let's redeem it and transform it into something that will be the most perfect and beautiful thing they could ever imagine. So Christ comes, the second person of the Trinity, born in human flesh in our world. And on the cross, we're told um, in other parts of the Bible, Peter um, says this, he, in 1 Peter 2, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He didn't retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And he personally carried our sin in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to it and live for what is right. By his very wounds we are healed. And there is something... Um, there's a word used in, in some of the books about what Jesus did. It, it, the word is representative. That when he hung on the cross and took the sin and pain and violence and brokenness of the world into his being, it was representative of ours, but it included ours. Right? It was being dealt with. And when the Son of God dies on a cross... It immediately starts it immediately starts a new process. And St. Paul describes the resurrected Jesus as the firstborn of the new creation, the firstborn of the new era, the firstborn of the new way it is going to be. And it is still that process is still unfolding. But the moment Jesus dies, it's like it's like when you're about to, you know, pay a bill on the laptop and you hit the button pay and immediately things start to happen and you can't change them back and that's what happened on the cross jesus dies and immediately sin death suffering they're all being dealt with they will be washed away now not yet but there is a day coming when there will be no more suffering and no more pain and no more tears they're already being dealt with. And Paul says, um, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. So it's kind of like a circular thing, that Christ comes to take our sufferings and our pain in his very being. And as we let him take our sufferings and our pain, we participate in his sufferings and his pain. And we become part of this redeeming love that is flowing through our world, that is changing our world, and that will one day lead to a brand new creation. Knowing Christ, being in Christ. And when you think about what is, being, is happening in Christ for the whole of creation, doesn't it put all the wee tick boxes about uh, being circumcised and keeping the law and turning up at all the right things. Uh, suddenly those things, as good and all as they are, uh, how could they possibly contribute to this amazing salvation and love and purposes pouring from God out on us? There is something so much more profound, so much more earth and cosmos changing going on in Christ on the cross.
And he invites us to step into that. Even today, even if you've done it before, to again, uh, to step, to come out like Joel did out of that wee exit, out of the Tara Terror, and realize there's someone running towards you with their arms out. Uh, and let him enfold us in his arms and help us with the weaknesses and the failing CV that we've got and the things we struggle with and the things we're frightened of realizing there is a there is a, a process already in place that can no longer that cannot be stopped it's to know Christ and to be in Christ let me just finish with the last couple of verses. Now that I have, not that I have already obtained all of this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Right? He meets you at the exit of the Tower of Terror and takes hold of you. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And that doesn't undo everything and suddenly it's all about my determination. That's not what he's saying. He's saying even today, on this Sunday morning, on the side of the ring road, we can again just lean into God's love and his purposes and his grace and mercy.